Imagine for a moment a life that feels unhurried and unworried. A life of patience, peace, and freedom from the obsession over others' opinions of you. A life of genuine humility that serves without keeping score. A life free from secret sins and resentment. Do you believe a life like this is possible? You can become a different kind of person. Guided by a different set of values. Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Are you ready? Go Church, how we feeling this morning? We feeling good? I love it, I love it. My name is David, I serve on our executive team here at Go Church, and this is the part of the gathering where if you brought a friend, you lean over to them and you say, hey, he's not our pastor, please come back next week, okay? I promise you he'll be back next week. You got to see Pastor JC on the screen. He is uh, in the Philippines right now doing some incredible ministry there, so uh, we are anxious to see him next week, and uh, I'm honored to get to bring the word today. Uh, we've got an overflow crowd here at our South Metro campus, and so we've got people sitting in overflow right now, but we're also a church that has overflow into different cities. We've got a, a campus right now on the west side of Atlanta that's meeting together, and my favorite thing about my job is that I get to personally know people at all of our campuses, and I love that. So west side, love you ladies and gentlemen so, so much, and then up in Montgomery County, Maryland, I, I love the people in Montgomery County so much, especially one, my wife is there right now. So I, my, I got a pregnant wife up there right now. And so listen, up there in Maryland, if you see some dudes trying to smack at her, all right, I need you to shut that down really quick, okay? So one church, three locations, people tuning in online. Can we just welcome everyone that calls Go Church Home? Glad that you're all here. And then we always want to honor the people that are serving in our military and all of those first responders, we acknowledge them every single week because we genuinely have people tuning in stationed overseas or people that are serving as firefighters on a shift or whatever it is. And they're watching this church and we want you to know that we are not overlooking your sacrifice. And so if you are grateful to live in a country where men and women value your life and your comfort more than their own safety, can we just welcome and thank all of them for serving because they deserve it. Very much. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into the message, and I, you know, I'm going to recap an announcement, because this is probably my favorite thing we do here at Go Church, and it's to join a group. And so scan that QR code right now if you haven't joined a group yet. Join three or four or five. Just go to a group every night of the week if you have to. You've got to get in a group. You've got to find community. That's where you're going to make friendships, and that's where you're going to learn more about God. You're going to learn more about your faith. And so genuinely, you've got to join a group. And if you didn't like your experience last time, just join a different one, okay? It happens. Sometimes there's a swing and a miss. But you got to get in a group because look at their faces. Look at the joy on these. That could be you, all right? You, you got that lime-sucking look on your face, but this could be you. Look at the joy. So join a group. You'll be happy. You'll be glad that you did. Uh, but we're continuing and, and closing out, actually, our series called Deep Change. And it's brought to us by a book called Deep Change. 
written by Jason Isaacs, who is uh, one of Pastor JC's best friends, serves on what he calls our accountability board, and uh, just really uh, has been a, a great resource to this church. And the book is fantastic. It's on sale in every single lobby um, at your campus. And so make sure you buy the book. And if there's someone that needs to change a little bit, buy it for them as a gift, right? So whatever you got to do, get those books. Because I'm telling you, the, the content that I sifted through to bring a message today, it was so challenging to even put it all into a message. And so I really couldn't. I picked a few things but there's so much content in there. You've just got to read it, okay? So make sure you go and buy that book. And it's based around this one concept. So if we want to change deeply, not superficially, not surface level, convince everyone around that we know Jesus, but we really don't, how do we actually change a heart? How does God change our heart? And it really starts right here, and this is the theme verse for this whole series. The, the religious leaders said, Teacher, asking Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And so as we look at that, that is um, a beautifully well put thing, but sometimes a very difficult thing to do because there are barriers to us actually doing that. And so we've got some practices that we've gone through over the last month to help us eliminate the barriers that would keep us from loving him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And so you can see what we've talked about so far, four practices of deep change. Not steps, okay? This is not a four-step program. These are practices that you got to do over and over and over again uh, for really the rest of time until Jesus comes back. But this is what we looked at week one, feel your feelings. Week two, face your past. Week three, change your habits. And then today, I'm going to talk about how we need to embrace our limits. Okay, you have limits, and we need to embrace them today, and we'll talk about why. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring to you a passage of someone who came up to the end of her limits, and she just got really, really frustrated today. But let me give you a little bit of backstory, and then we'll, we'll dive through this passage together. Uh, Jesus' ministry at this point in time was picking up a lot of fame, uh, a lot of people following him. And uh, as his popularity grew, they would travel from city to city. And uh, he comes across this one lady named Martha, who has a sister named Mary. And they invite him over. They know he's the Messiah. They believe in him. They have all the faith in the world in him. Okay, so that's an important backdrop to know. And then we're going to dive into this passage today. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, Jesus and the disciples... He entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, I want to pause right here, because if you grew up in church, and you know the story that we're about to read about our stressed-out little Martha, we're about to see our sweet little Martha, love her so much, okay, you're about ready to pile on, and you're just going to point the finger at her, and she's ridiculous, and all of these things, but I do think it is important to point out here, she welcomed Jesus into her home, and that's a big deal. Because there were a lot of people that were not doing that. And she did. She recognized the authority of Jesus. And she wanted him in relationship with her. And that's important to see right there. So let's keep going here. Verse 39 and 40. Martha had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha, but Martha, was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. She's yelling at Jesus. Now, this is, uh, but before I dive into this, the passage does not tell us which sister is older 
and which one is younger. But come on. We all know which one is the older, responsible sibling and which one is the, is the baby that could never do any wrong. So let me, let me ask this. If you are an older sibling like me, if you're the oldest, I want you to put your hand up every campus. There's a lot. Come on. You're the responsible one, the mature one, the best looking for sure, uh, but slightly miserable. Okay, can I get an amen from him? You're slightly miserable, and that's me, right? Your youngest sibling, they get everything they want. They did not get disciplined as hard as you did. They just could do no wrong, and that is exactly how it was in my family. My youngest brother, Sean, blonde hair, blue eyes. I mean, all he had to do was bat his eyes, and, uh, and it was over. No discipline ever. I would get in trouble for my little brother's nonsense. And so uh, that, I know what it's like to be the oldest. But we see an important dynamic here. You see Mary, who is seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And then you see Martha having something completely different going on. We see that Mary is seated, but Martha is stressing two completely different types of people. Mary is focused on Jesus, and Martha is distracted from him. Mary is listening to every word from Jesus, and Martha is bossing him around, telling him what he should do. Two completely different ladies. And here's the point that I want you to see here, and you've got to pay attention to this. They are both equally distant from Jesus. He is in both of their houses. They have the same proximity to Jesus, and only one of them is enjoying it. And the other one is completely miserable. And normally, I like to preach to those of you that are skeptics of the faith or are new believers, but today, I'm going to focus primarily on those of you that you've been following Jesus for a long, long time. And it feels a little bit more like Martha than it does like Mary. And it's become drudgery. Uh, there's no more joy. You don't enjoy it anymore. Worship happens, and it, you, you just you see people in tears, lifting their hands, coming down for prayer, and you just don't, you don't feel it anymore. Uh, you, can, you can't shut off your brain. You're thinking about all the things you got to do, all the things you're supposed to be. It's just not fun to be in the presence of Jesus anymore. And look, you've invited him in. You believe in him. You know who he is, but it's become drudgery, and there is no more enjoyment about following him. And if you're vulnerable enough, and look, you don't even have to admit it to anyone else, but let the walls down in your heart to know if that's you, if you're a Martha, listen, I am with you. Uh, I told the first gathering this I don't know. I'm either the best person to bring this word today or the worst. And it just depends. Not because I'm a great communicator, but because I, I am a Martha. I was literally driving home from work on a, on a day this week. And I, I, I was driving home and literally I just started laughing by myself. I started laughing because of how stressed out I was. Like I reached this point where I was like, what... And look, don't judge me. You do this too, okay? But I literally, I'm driving home like, what am I doing? What am I even doing right now? Like, I, my schedule is unbelievable. I can't, my mom was trying to call me. I couldn't even answer the phone because I was so stressed out. I had so much to do. And it becomes drudgery. And you lost your enjoyment. If that's you, listen, I'm talking to you. And I know what that feels like. And if you're a Mary... And you can just sit at the feet of Jesus. Listen, stay there. And if you're the type of person that can just go through life wherever the wind blows you, I'm jealous of you. Um, I secretly hate you. Um, I, wish, I wish I could be more like you. I really do. I don't know how you do it. I, I honestly, I don't know how you do it. You're just like, ah, yeah, whatever. And that's your temperament. And I, and I get that. And you do you. But listen, to all the Marthas in the room, 
you got to listen up close today because we, we spoiler alert, we got to get to the feet of Jesus. Okay, we got to get to the feet of Jesus. So what do we need to do to get there? Today's about embracing our limits. And there's three limits that you need to embrace in order to get to the feet of Jesus. And here's the good news for all the Marthas, just like me in the room, is embracing these doesn't require you to do anything. You have to stop doing things. There are things you need to stop doing. So this is going to be the easiest sermon ever because you don't even have to memorize any steps. You just got to stop doing some stuff. Okay, so let's look at after Martha bosses Jesus around, tell her to help me. What does Jesus say back? And I, can, look, before I even read this, can you just, whether you're a believer or not, can you just understand the grace of Jesus? I mean, she is berating the Savior of the world who created the world, bossing him around. And he's just like, Martha, 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 you are worried and bothered about so many things. A couple of things I want to point out here. Number one, I love that he has to say Martha's name twice. Uh, it's probably because she wasn't paying attention the first time. Or he's like, Martha, hey, Martha, Martha, hey, right here, eyes on me, Martha, come on. I have to do the same thing to my dogs, right? They're freaking out. People on TV, they think intruders are going to pop out of the TV and I have to grab them. Hey, hey, that's not real, okay? This threat is not real. And so she's freaking out and he has to wheel her in. Martha, Martha, hey, come on. You are worried and you're bothered about so many things. And those are three limits that we're going to talk about today. And the remedy to these limits that we need to embrace, we're going to go through today. But it's all about our worries our bothers, right, like our frustrations, and then, frankly, just so many things that we do, right? So let's look at the first limit that you need to embrace. You can embrace that limit of, of worry by saying, I can't know everything, okay? Martha was worried because she didn't know how her preparations were going to turn out. And look, before you start judging her, put yourself in her position. The Savior of the world was coming to her house, I mean, you got to do a little bit of cleaning, right? You got to pull out the fine china. You got to find it. Where did everyone put it when we stored it? Like, what? You got to clean up everything. Dust the, uh, you know, dust off your Bible because you ain't picked it up in a long time, right? So make sure it looks like you've been reading it. Crack it open to Psalm 91. Oh, every Christians, that's Christian humor right there. You got to crack it open. You got to make sure the, the crab cakes, right? You didn't get the Kroger brand or the Safeway brand up in Maryland. You got you go to Costco and they got the best. They got the best. All right, I'm a huge Costco fan. You got to roll out the red carpet. Jesus is coming over. So look, I get it, and she's freaking out, will he be pleased with this? Will everything I'm doing, will, will he like it? Will he enjoy it? i got to make sure that he enjoys it. And what she's really wondering and why that she worries is the same reason why we worry, and it's because we have uncertainty of how things are going to turn out. And she believes this lie, that if I could just be certain about the outcome, if I could just know that he was going to have a good time, if I could just know if I'm ever going to get married, if I could just know how my career is going to turn out, will I have a career? Are robots going to replace me in 30 years, right? How are my kids going to turn out? I mean, the world is just crazy. I've got my, my first child on the way. He'll be born in April and I am scared, y'all. I am scared about what he's going to learn out in that world. And parents, I finally get it. Like, I finally, I get it, and he ain't even born yet. You're, you're freaking out. You're worried. How are my kids going to turn out? Will I ever be able to have kids? Will I have enough money to retire? Will I even have enough money to pay my rent at the end of the month? Look, and these are just, these are some of the surface level things. 
So let me tell you this. I'm not saying that those are not real dangers and those are not real things to think about and plan about. You should. You should have a plan. And Jesus is not against plans, by the way. He tells people what kind of builder starts a project without having a plan in place. So there's nothing wrong with having plans. And then there's nothing wrong with, like, doing work. You need to hear what I'm saying here. This is not a message about, hey, just be like Martha. Quit your job. Don't do anything. Sit at home. Listen to Maverick City music all day. And just sit in the presence of Jesus. No, that's not what, I'm, that's not what the sermon is about. You need to work, okay? God created the earth, and he said you need to work for six days, and then you need to rest for one, not the other way around. You were not here to not work. And by the way, if you want proof of that, they were working in the Garden of Eden long before they ever sinned. Work is biblical, and you're going to be working forever. This is, this is what we're required to do. So I just have to put that disclaimer out there. Don't be lazy. You need to work, and you need to learn, and you need to have a plan. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, nothing wrong with plans. But your worry, your uncertainty, if your uncertainty of how these things are going to turn out is keeping you from celebrating the grace that Jesus has shown to you, if Jesus is in the room and you feel the presence of God in the room and everyone else is experiencing it, but you just can't stop thinking about work, you can't stop thinking about the kids. You can't stop thinking about your good-for-nothing sibling. You can't stop thinking about X, Y, Z. Then I, I, let me just say it to you straight up. I think you've got an idol on your hands. If the presence of God is not enough to capture your attention, then your attention is on something else. And all worry does is it reveals your idols. Worry reveals the things that you think, if I could just have this thing, if I had this then I could control everything around me. If I just had this, then my life would be meaningful. If I just knew how this would turn out, then everything would go well. And I'm telling you, that is idolatry. And you've got to let worry reveal that. Man, why am I letting this steal my joy? Real concerns. You need a plan, but you can't let that steal your joy. Okay, so you've got to know, I can't know everything. Embrace that limit. You cannot know everything. You have to understand that there are things you... You just don't know how they're going to turn out. You don't know how your kids are going to end up. You don't know how your career is going to end up. So you got to come to that limit. We'll circle back to that at the end, but let's keep going here. The second limit that Martha needed to embrace and that you and I need to embrace today is that you can't do everything. Martha was frustrated way more than just not knowing the outcome of the evening. Martha was frustrated because the tasks weren't getting done. The to-do list was just growing and growing, and she could not check off enough boxes. And so her entire identity, this is what she did, and this is like a, a concept, I hope I can communicate this clearly to get it across. But what Martha has in her mind is the same thing that a lot of us, whether you have a Christian worldview, a secular worldview, or another religious worldview, this is what we do when we don't know who Jesus is. We have a list of things that if we can accomplish these things, then that gives us value. Then that gives us an identity. And for Martha, what she believed, the underlying belief that she had was, if I can be a really good host, if I can be a perfect host, then I know I have value. If I can accomplish everything on this list, I'm inventing a list of things I know that will give me value and I'm telling you right now, if Jesus is not the priority to you, and if you don't admit that you can't do everything, you're going to have a list that you think gives you value. And it might be different. 
It might be completely different than what Martha's was, but you're going to have something where as long as I can check all these boxes, I know I have value. And let me tell you why. There's three reasons why that is a bad idea. There's some toxic beliefs that will take root in your heart if you believe that you actually can do everything to earn your value. The first thing that you will start to believe is that you're only valuable for what you do, not for who you are. So whenever you're unable to check off all your boxes, you, your whole identity goes out the window. If I'm not a good boss, if I'm not a good mom, if I'm not a good host, if I'm not a good preacher, then who am I? My whole identity is lost. And you've put your whole identity in what you can do, not in who you are. And what happens when you can't get it all done? You will go into a guilt and shame cycle that is so difficult to find your way out of. You have to remind yourself, you cannot do everything. And if you think you can, you are going to base your identity on what you accomplish. And when you don't accomplish it, guilt and shame sets in. Another thing, probably even more detrimental, not only to you, but to those around you, is let's say you can. Let's say you do start knocking off everything on your little list. What's going to happen? You're going to think, okay, well, this is the list of things that make people valuable, and I'm doing them. So the problem with the rest of the world is that everyone else needs to be doing these things too. And whoever's not doing this list of things is the problem, right? Martha was mad at Mary because Martha believed to have value, you've got to be a great host and do all these tasks, and Mary wasn't doing it. Therefore, Mary's the problem. Mary is the issue. And let me tell you, Christians, look, the rest of the world, I, you can ignore this. Christians, you better listen to me right now, okay? That is not the gospel. And if you think ever for one second that you are superior to any other human being, regardless of their belief or worldview, you have not remembered the cross where he said we were all in sin. I am no better than anybody else. You cannot be superior to anyone because your identity does not come from what you do, but for what he did on the cross. The playing field is even. It's Jesus and everybody else. And if you feel superior to someone, look, this is where hatred comes in. This is why racism exists. This is why bigotry and sexism exists. Because we think, here's the things, the checkboxes to be a good person. And it's, it's that political party that, that's not doing it. They're the problem with the world. No, no, no. A Christian realized, no, no, no. The problem with the world is the same thing that's the problem in me. And it's the sin in me. And the other world, the rest of the world sins differently. But it's not about what I do. It's about what Jesus did. And if you believe that you can do everything, then you'll feel superior to people like Martha did. And that's a dangerous place to get. Another dangerous thing, if you don't embrace this limit, that you're going to start to believe, whether you're aware of it or not, is that even if you can accomplish everything, let's say you do, you accomplish everything, and yeah, you feel superior to people along the way, and then you get to the end and you check that last box of whatever it is, pick, you pick it, you get to the end of it and you realize, I have no more purpose anymore. It's all been completed. It's all been fulfilled. I spent my whole life climbing up this ladder, and then I realized it led to nowhere. I am empty. I'm hollow. And if I had more time, I was going to read you some articles about real actors and actresses that they received the Oscar, you know, the, the musicians who received the Grammys and, and all the award shows and all of those things. And they felt really good on that stage. And then they went home and they said it was the worst night of their life because they couldn't go any higher and they had no more purpose left. 
They did not know what to do. You see it all the time. And if you believe that you can do everything, then once you, even if you do, you're going to lose that sense of purpose. And you can't afford to lose that. So the only way to overcome not only your worries without knowing everything, but your bothers, your frustrations, is you have to come to grips. You can't do everything. Again, we'll circle back to this in a second. But let's look at the third limit that we've got to embrace. Jesus told Martha, you're worried, you're bothered about so many things. And you've got to embrace this limit. You cannot be everywhere. You can't be everywhere. We, uh, I, I want you, and I won't show it on the screen, but in verse 40, it doesn't say that Martha was ignoring Jesus. It wasn't like she stopped believing in him. It wasn't that she wasn't uh, wanting to hear him. It just says she was distracted. And again, I get it. She's cleaning. She's probably cooking on all four burners, right? She's, she's trying to refill everyone's drinks along the way, and she's trying to listen at the same time. And I'm telling you, it just, it's distracting. She was missing out on good truth because she was distracted. And I, I just want to pose this to you, and this comes out of the book. I'll show you a quote in a second. But maybe the reason that you haven't experienced deep change, maybe the reason that you haven't experienced that transformation that you've longed for is because you're spread so thin that you don't even have enough time to go deep. You have this many hours in the day, and what you've done is instead of driving deeper in your time with God and sitting at his feet, you're spreading yourself out, doing a little bit every single day. Uh, let me put it to you the way the author, uh, Jason Isaacs, this is what he says. We long for a transformational and transcendent experience with God, but we hope to squeeze it in between 7.30 to 7.45 a.m. on a Tuesday. We want to know him intimately, but we need him to speak to us through one verse inspirational devotionals because that's all we got time for. I read my verse of the day. What's the problem? You know, like, I, gosh, I mean, I prayed for five minutes today. Where's the transformation? And I'm just sitting here. And, and look, it sounds ridiculous, but, but I do it too. You do it too. You've spread yourself so thin. And you say, you get to a season where it's like, well, uh, you know, Pastor JC is, is preaching. I, I need to be fed, all right? And look, I, I told the first gathering I wasn't going to say this again, but I'm doing it, okay? I don't know why. I feel good. I drank a, an energy drink a second ago, so I'm coming. I promise you I am a Christian, but I got to come for us for a second. So if you're not a believer yet, you're going to say amen here. Christians, can I tell you one, one of my pet peeves? And anyone in Go Church, if you ever leave this church or if you left that last church and you came here, listen, I, I love you. I love you. But please stop saying, if you've been following Jesus for years, well, I left that church because I just wasn't being fed. I wasn't being fed. How long have you been following Jesus where you got to sit in that little chair and say, feed me, feed me, feed me. Feed yourself. Come on, get in the word. Go deeper in your relationship with God. And look, if you're just getting started, we're here for you. Like, we're not mad at you. We want to help you. Come to small groups. That's why we push that. Come in here. Let us help you learn how to read the word. Go through move track. Get the resources. But listen, don't blame everyone else when you haven't given God enough time for deep change. Don't give him 15 minutes and then 45 minutes of your attention on Sundays and think that's going to change you. Come on, spend time in the word. Deep change. Now, maybe, uh, maybe your calendar has become an issue for so long uh, that you've just grown so used to it. You've not, you don't even long for it. Like he says, we long for transformational and transcendent experience. Maybe for some of you in here, you, you're even past that point, 
where you're just not hungry for God anymore. And I want to tell you a quote, uh, and I'm going to show it to you. I'll put it up on the screen uh, from one of my favorite authors and communicators, John Piper. And, uh, and it's deep. And I, listen, this stung me so bad. I am not up here on my high horse, I promise you. This is stinging to all of us as believers. But I want you to pay close attention. It's a long quote, but they'll make it big on the screen for you. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. And here's where the rebuke comes in. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Let that wake you up out of your slumber. Christian, Martha, you're busy, you're stressed out, you're tired, and you're believing the lie that the internet and social media has fed to you that you can be anywhere at all times. And this is what you think you can do. You think you can do more. The internet promised us tools to make us more effective, more connected. All it's done is made us more depressed and more spread thin. It is a lie. You cannot be anywhere. I don't care if you were on a Zoom call with someone on the other side of the world. You can't be everywhere. And you weren't supposed to be spread so thin. You were made for deep change. And in the same way, I like to use silly metaphors, but it proves a powerful point. In the same way, when you go to eat at your favorite Mexican restaurant, and you fill up on that chips and salsa long before that entree ever gets there, and then they put that delicious, you got your enchiladas, all right? You got your pupusas right in front of you, and you're looking at it, and then you're saying, I, I just, I'm full. I don't want anything else. God, save us from that. May we only have an appetite for God and the things of God. And again, the point of this, it's not that you're craving evil things. It's that you're looking to the world. You're an adult. I don't have to tell you to limit your time on social media. You know. You know how long you're scrolling. I don't have to tell you how much time you're spending in front of the computer. You know that you can't stop checking those emails. I don't have to tell you, and look, I'm embarrassed to admit how much TV I watch. I mean, my, I had my dad watch, uh, we have two pugs, which God help us, they're, but my dad was watching our two pugs while I was working on my message yesterday, and I was checking in, hey, how's things going, have they destroyed everything yet, and he said, no, he said, I love these pugs, they're just sitting on the couch watching TV, just staring at it, and that exposed me, because that's all I do on my days off, is I sit there and watch Sports Center and First Take and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, geez, that's my bad, man. They, they watch TV just like their owner does. Come on, I don't, I'm not accusing you of longing for things that I don't even struggle longing for. But if you keep nibbling at the table of the world, you're going to lose your appetite for God real quick. You can't be everywhere all at once. And if you're content to just do all these preparations to justify yourself, and if you could be everywhere and accomplish everything, you could be more loved by God. You can't. That's a lie. Stop believing that lie. Embrace that limit that you cannot be everywhere, and that's okay. Now, I promised we would circle back to these three things. And if I close the sermon right here, 
you would do what every Tony Robbins seminar and every self-help book will tell you to do. You're going to get worried and you're going to be like, oh, God, i got to stop worrying. Don't worry anymore, right? Don't you get annoyed whenever you're stressed out and then someone says, hey, just calm down. And then you're like, oh, thank you. I, I, I'm cured. Woo. Let's get ice cream, right? I mean, this is awesome. It doesn't work. If other people tell you, hey, you're just one person. You can't do it all. It doesn't work. It, it's not going to work. And if you tell yourself that, if you try to just have enough moral restraint and enough discipline, if I can just convince myself of these things, it, it doesn't work. Because that voice is still in your head convincing you you're supposed to know everything. You're supposed to be able to do everything. You're supposed to be everywhere. Where did that lie come from? I'll tell you right now. It came from the Garden of Eden. It's the same lie that the serpent told Eve. It's the same lie we believe today. And here it is. I want you to catch this. We're going to go a little deep here, but I want you to pay close attention here. So wake up, okay? Uh, Genesis 3, 5. The serpent is talking to Eve about the forbidden fruit. And he says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Not like him in terms of behavior, in terms of essence. Three in one. Omnipotent, omniscient ever-present, right, all-knowing, all-powerful, everything. You will be like God. All you got to do, your real problem is that he put these limits on you. So you've got to expand your limits. Don't embrace these limits. This garden is not good enough for you. Eat this fruit. Be like God. You could do so much more. You could know so much more. You could be everywhere. You could be like God. And they said, oh, there's more for me out there? Well, I'm not going to embrace these limits anymore. I'm going to expand my limits. I'm going to do what the American dream is telling me to do even today. And I'm going to partake. I'm going to go beyond my limits and push my limits. And then what happened? The moment they tried to expand their limits instead of embracing them, they lost intimacy with God. Sin entered the world because they thought and they believed the same lie that you and I believe today. You think you're supposed to know everything. You think you're supposed to do everything. You think you're supposed to be everywhere. And the weight of the world is on your shoulders, and that voice cannot get out of your head. And so what are we supposed to do about this? Well, what did Adam and Eve do? Not the right thing. They didn't think, and, and look, I don't, we do the same thing, so I'm not even coming for them either. But they didn't think, oh, man, we had it better when we were under the limits of the garden. Let's get back to the limits. We were walking with God. We had it all. They didn't do that. What did they do? They sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness, which was a sign of much more than something physical. They felt shame. They felt guilt. And they hid the best way they knew how, sewing fig leaves, hiding in the bushes. And then when God finally came to them, what did they do? They didn't say, you know what, bring us back to your limits. I'm so sorry. No, what did they do? They just pointed the finger. It's, 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 uh, it's Eve's fault. That woman you put here with me, it's on her. And then Eve said, no, 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 it's the serpent's fault. And they didn't even long for the limits that God put them on anymore. They thought they were supposed to expand and hide their limits instead of embracing them. And it's the same thing we do today. We sow the fig leaves of our worries, of all of our learning, of all of our knowledge. If I can learn enough, if I can accomplish enough, if I can be stronger, if I can be more present, I could, I could do like a three-way Zoom call with all of my kids that are scattered all over the world. If I could just be everywhere all at once. And that is a lie. 
and it's keeping you trapped in guilt and shame and you don't even realize it because you believe the same lie that they believed. You're miserable whether you admit it or not until you realize, oh my God, I have been trying to justify myself by being like God in terms of essence, not behavior. Essence, I'm trying to be like God and it's a weight that I can't bear. So what is the solution? How do we get that voice in our head when the enemy says, be like God, be like God. You're supposed to be smarter than this. You're supposed to have it all together. Come on, your, your, your home is falling apart. Those kids are losing and, and, and you're supposed to be the best mom. If you were a good mom, you would learn more. If you were a good boss, you'd be able to do more. If you were a good employee, you could be more places. And the condemnation is coming, piling it on over and over. And Martha, same thing. The pots are boiling over. There's a mess over in the corner and all of these different things. And you're freaking out. And you've lost your joy. What is the response here? We looked at the first sentence that Jesus told Martha. He said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. You're frustrated. You're spread too thin. And then this, this is it. This is our hope. The next sentence is, I'm telling you, it's, it should be the most freeing thing for you. This is what he says. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, and it shall not be taken away from me. One thing is necessary. This is not a fancy sermon, guys. This is not complex. This is simple. I told you in the beginning. Get back to the feet of Jesus. Learn more. Go to Bible studies. Go to the gym. Get stronger, right? Respond to those emails. Don't be a jerk, okay? All of those things. But get back to the feet of Jesus. When you hear your accuser saying, you're not smart enough, then what do you respond? You respond by saying, look, Jesus is the fulfillment of our limits, okay? So when he says, you're not smart enough, you say, you know what? You're right, actually. The father of lies is speaking the truth. You are right. I don't know enough, but I can get to the feet of the one who does. I am not strong enough, but I can get to the feet of the omnipotent. Here it is right here, the fulfillment of our limits. I'm not all-knowing, but I can get to the feet of the one who is. I'm not omnipotent, all-powerful, but I can get to the feet of the one who is. I'm not everywhere all the time, but I can get to the feet of the one who is. Now, how does that work? Why, is, why does that work? What does that even mean, get to the feet of Jesus? That means this, when you're worried about how your family's going to turn out, it doesn't mean God's going to tell you how it's going to turn out. You don't always know. Maybe even, I would dare to say, rarely will you know how it's going to turn out. But he says, listen, knowledge is not what you need. You don't need more knowledge. You just need me. Sit at my feet and know that I know how it's going to turn out. And he already promised us that everything's going to turn out together for good. It, whenever we feel like we've come to the limits of our power and our abilities, he's saying, look, I don't need you to do all that. I told the, the first gathering this, and I want to say this one because we're streaming this one to Montgomery County and Westside. I want to talk to all the pastors on staff here at Go Church, and I want to talk to any pastor who might be turning in. Listen, the best advice I got, I was in my early 20s, and I was just, oh, I felt really bad about life decisions that people in my flock were making. You are not the Savior 
you are not the answer. Listen, I am not the answer. Pastor JC is not your answer. And pastors, if you go through life thinking that you are the solution, that you are supposed to be all powerful, you are not. Get them to the feet of Jesus and then get yourself to the feet of Jesus while you're at it because you are going to be miserable if you think you're supposed to cure everything. Listen, you don't have to have it all figured out. To the mom who is stressing out about how good of a mom you're going to be or how good of a mom you are, listen, Jesus is the one they need. Get them to Jesus. Own, embrace the limits. Tell them face to face, even if they're five years old. Listen, sometimes mommy's going to let you down. Sometimes I'm going to miss it. Man, I got, I got a kid coming in three months, and I have no idea what the heck I'm supposed to do. Am I allowed to say heck? I don't know. I, I just did. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And I'm not one of those millennials that thinks they know everything, okay? So people that have raised kids, just hit me with all the advice. But the one thing I keep hearing is you, you, can't, you can't be prepared. You can't be ready. And listen, that's the point. Because the only thing you've got to do to embrace this gift of Jesus Christ, it requires one thing humility. You have got to be humble. You have got to recognize the only thing you have to do to, to receive Jesus in is, is admit a couple of things. Number one, Martha, you can't impress Jesus. You cannot impress him without clean your houses. How much more dirty is your house than the throne room of heaven that he walked out of when he came to earth? You can't impress him with the cleanliness of your home or with the good tasting food that you can make. You are not capable of preparing a dwelling fit enough for the Savior of the world. You can't do it. You can't make this church clean enough for it. It's not, he's not coming in because of how clean it is. He's coming in because of a repentant heart of humility. You can't impress him. You have nothing to bargain with. He owns everything. You don't have enough money. He's not like, whoa, I'd love to get some of that. I'd love, man, that guy can sing. I'd love to be able to sing like that. All of your knowledge, it's his knowledge. It's his wisdom that he shared. You have nothing to bargain with. Do not even try that. Because if you try to bargain with Jesus for salvation, you'll be miserable like Martha for the rest of your life. The only thing you have to do to get to the feet of Jesus is admit, I have nothing else to bring but a hallelujah. I have nothing else to bring but myself you, for if you are far from God, you are the only thing that he is longing for, that he's missing. He has everything else. He wants you. And the only thing holding you back is your lack of a willingness to embrace those limits. Don't try to expand them. Embrace the limits. Admit that you don't have it all together and get to the feet of Jesus. That is our sermon and that is the gospel. And that's my invitation to you today. Get to the feet of Jesus if you've never embraced him as your savior or if you've been sitting in churches for 40 and 50 years and you didn't even realize how scarcely recognizable and almost incurable your disease to please, your disease to impress God with your good behavior and your Christian morals and your church attendance, it's not enough. The only thing that's required of you is surrender. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We are here today to surrender, and I'll invite you to raise up your hand in a moment. But one of our uh, staff pastors, Pastor Jeff, told me this one time, and I love this. I, I'm stealing it from him. He said, sometimes we're only content to raise a hand, and we're not willing to bow a knee. 
And although I'm going to ask you to raise a hand in your heart, I want the posture of your heart. God wants the posture of your heart to be surrendered, bowing a knee, face down before him. That, that is true repentance. That is true humility. And that is my invitation to you today. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you want to make that decision today, no matter how long you've been attending church, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to embrace the limits and thus embrace him as your savior. If that's you, I invite you to raise your hand right now and keep it up just for a moment. I see one, two, three, thank you, four, five. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Six, seven, eight. Thank you, Jesus. Nine. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Nine hands that went up. You can put those hands down. And this is our prayer today. I'll pray, but I want you to talk to him in your own way. You don't got to repeat after me. It's your heart crying out to him in humility, not mine doing it for you. So talk to him. Lord, we come to you right now in repentance and in recognition that the limits that you placed on us is not to restrain us from freedom, but it's to provide us freedom. Get us back to the garden. Get us back to the place where you are the only one that has to have it all figured out. Get us back to that place, Lord. We admit that we don't have it all together. We admit that we have nothing else to bring but a humble, sacrificed heart, God. We come to the feet of Jesus. Forgive us of our sins. Make us new as we commit our lives to following you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this together about what we can bring to our Savior as we close today. Don't go anywhere. Let's sing this together.